something that makes getting off the hamster wheel easy and there is something that makes it hard. And and you know what makes getting off the hamster wheel hard is when you don't realize that there is a real magic carpet ride. It's not just this idea that sounds good and you know some people talk about and we've heard you hear successful people talk about it. Yeah, but they're already there. They're they're like they, you know, and it kind of looks to us like maybe they did the hamster ride to get there, right? And so when it looks to us like that, and when it looks to us like our circumstances are the things that will make us feel the way we want, um, it makes so much sense to stay on the hamster ride. And we do. And then it, it wears us out because it's not sustainable. to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hotman. Hey, Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast listeners, welcome back. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Relish Studio. Check them out on the web at relishstudio.com. They are a digital marketing firm devoted to purpose-driven business leaders, and their goal is to guide and support their customers as they realize the full potential of marketing to fuel both business and personal growth. Speaking from personal experience, I have worked with Relish on websites, logo design, and in fact, the editing of this very podcast. I can't say enough about them. And my friend Stu is just a wonderful human. He is totally in alignment in terms of environment and sustainability, two things I'm very passionate about. And in fact, their entire business is a 1% for the planet partner which means they're giving back a percentage of their revenue to environmental causes and organizations. I just love these guys. I can't say enough about them. If you decide to check them out and you want to hire them for a new job, make sure you mention the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast to them, and they will offer you a 10% discount off of their normal rate on their first engagement with you. Check them out, relishstudio.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. My name is Megan Hotman. I am your host and have happily been so now for a little over three years. It's hard to believe we launched the show back in August of 2018, and here we are, early September 2021, and we are four months from the end of this year already. It's crazy. In that headspace, I have found myself sort of... Um, setting some quarter four goals, not just business-wise and monetarily-wise, but also in cycling. I've uh, publicly stated my goal of getting to 8,000 miles by the end of the year, which is going to be a challenge since I'm only a little over 5,000 miles right now. So I'm going to need to average some pretty significant weekly miles between now and New Year's Eve to get to that 8,000 goal. Um, I'm also setting some other sort of personal and development goals and uh, one of the things that I did over the Labor Day weekend, which was not on my radar, but definitely sort of found me in the right place at the right time, is that I've signed up to take meditation teacher training. It's a six-month, six 200-hour certification. And so hopefully by early to late spring of 22, I will be a certified meditation teacher 
teacher. And I have already talked to my favorite yoga instructor, Suzanne, to see if she might be interested in having me teach some meditation classes at her yoga studio. And she said, yes. So I'm really excited about that. And also pairing some meditation work in with the coaching that I'm doing of lawyers specifically um, have really been enjoying coaching lawyers in their work in law and in their life. Um, the two clients I'm currently coaching both also happen to be cyclists, so we can touch on those things as well and cycling goals and coaching. And it's really on my heart to do more coaching in the legal space with lawyers, helping them design lives that they can thrive in by scheduling intentionally and um, just choosing where and how to, to spend that precious, very limited resource known as energy and also making time for wellness, uh, which this profession certainly demands and requires of us in order to make it a sustainable profession. Um, one of the things I am up to these days, I'm rereading Stephen Cope's The Great Work of Your Life. It is just an incredible book, and it is landing for me in so many different ways than I remember it landing the first time I read it a few years ago. And one of the things that has really touched me is the um, discussion. The, the entire focus of the book is basically on our gift. Um, he calls it Dharma, but it is really our life's calling, the great work of our life. And uh, a very big takeaway for me has been that you can have a Dharma or gift that served you for a period of time and served the greater good for a period of time and was something that got you up out of bed and made you just hit the ground running. You couldn't wait to do it. You were excited. You maybe worked on it on your weekends and in your free time. You saw it as being the thing that you would retire doing and that they would bury you doing. Um, just knowing that you were really swimming in your channel and just living your gift. And then at some point, it actually started to change and shift. And the book talks about this woman, Catherine, who really always thought that she was doing the things she was meant to do for her whole life. And then suddenly it had changed. Um, he talks in the book, uh, let me just read you a few sentences. Someone has had a profound taste of living their dharma, maybe even for decades. But now that particular dharma is used up, lived out. You can smell it. This person knows that a certain dharma moment is over, but has only the vaguest sense of what must be next. It increasingly begins to dawn on her that in order to take that next expression of dharma, she's going to have to take a leap of some kind. She knows that she is going to have to close a door behind her before she will find the next door to open. And gradually she comes to the edge of a cliff where she knows a leap of faith will be required. This is where she sets down in her folding chair. Will she ever get up? Fear of closing the door is one version of Dharma paralysis. It's such a fascinating read. I can't recommend it enough. He talks about people like Jane Goodall, someone who realized her talent and skill and calling to be with animals from a very young age. In fact, at the age of four, and he talks about naming and claiming our gifts. Uh, it's just an incredible book. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, this last week saw me taking a day off in the middle of the week on Wednesday. I took a day trip out of state and spent the day um, really just having a fun day. There was no bike rides. There was reading. There was some pool time. There was some eating out some quiet, just downtime, some rest time. And even though the travel day ended up keeping me up for 23 hours straight and a relatively stressful late travel situation coming home, 
Um, I woke Thursday morning to find my energy so heightened, so unexpectedly heightened. I truly thought that I was going to be foggy and dragging ass on Thursday, the day after this sort of marathon day. And instead, I was so rejuvenated because I hadn't touched a single email or anything related to work all day Wednesday. My creative brain was really lit up on Thursday, and I was just in this incredible space of ideation and planning and big picture stuff and sort of seeing some magic happening and seeing some cool things on the horizon. And it really kickstarted me for the latter part of the week. And I carried that momentum into the holiday weekend and got some really nice deep work and some planning and some, um, just like I said, ideation, just that creative brain space stuff done over the Labor Day weekend. It was it was a really powerful experience. Um, I have pulled the email app off of my phone. I did that a few weeks ago. I can't recommend that enough where I need to be on a desktop or a laptop to be checking emails. And that's really great for a couple of reasons. One of which is that I don't check emails while standing in line at the store or in between other tasks or even in the middle of a bike ride, which is then when I would be most prone to knee jerk reaction say yes if I really should have said no or to whip off an email that I later regret or uh, more consistently send an email full, email full of typos because I'm trying to do it on my really small cell phone keyboard. We can type so much faster when we're on a computer keyboard than we can when we're on our phone. So even just from a time management and efficiency perspective, checking emails on the computer only is a really great idea. Uh, Anyway, having that app off of my phone has been really great, and it certainly facilitated a really restorative and re-energizing Wednesday last week. All this to say that this book and its topic brought me to want to talk about this with Demi. This is her third time back on the podcast, and today the very specific topic I wanted to discuss was the leap from the hamster wheel or the treadmill of busyness, if you will, of the doing and the void, that big leap, that unknown, that uncertain gap that tends to um, follow leaving the hamster wheel uh, prior to arriving on what she calls the magic carpet, which is really where you start to exist in the space of ease, uh, really existing in the space of living that dharma or that gift that I was talking about. And um, and what you do when you sense that it is time for you to leave the hamster wheel or to leave the, the current season that you're in and, and move into the next season, whether that's professionally, whether that's personally in the context of a relationship, in the context of a job. It can be so many things, but just really referring to something that perhaps at one time really served us and then for whatever reason just no longer does. And um and I talked about this in a previous podcast too, just listening to these other uh, podcast hosts talking about the, the universal nudgings that we feel and um, what we do with that when we start to realize that we are being called to transition into something else. So as always, Demi delivers some incredible nuggets, some really great insights. She's just such a powerful gift and has just been such a influential person in my life um, since I met her back in 2017 or 2018, whenever it was. I hope that this podcast is of some value to you, and I hope that it leaves you with some great insights and thoughts. I hope you'll try the exercise that she suggests, so you may want to have a pen and a piece of paper handy if you're not driving while you're listening to this. 
As always, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks so much to my friend Stu over at Relish Studio for doing the editing and the post-production work for us. And such a huge thanks to my guests like Demi and others who have appeared on this podcast. Um, It's hard to believe that we are already into our 63rd episode. I hope that you have a great day wherever this finds you. And um, I hope that you can find a way to uh, genuinely uh, live your day and your life with maximum enthusiasm. Take care, friends. Good morning, my dear friend, Demi McConkie. Welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. How are you this morning? I'm so great. It's great to be back. I always love spending time with you. To the friends and listeners of this show, Demi was on way back when we first started this podcast, probably close to two and a half-ish years ago. And she spoke about soul purpose. I highly recommend you go back and listen to that episode Today, we find Demi in her always evolving and new space, which is Authentic Power Leadership. That's the name of her company. You can find out more about her at theauthenticleaderinyou.com. Demi, can you tell us a little bit about where you have been these last two years, like the transition from there to here? Mm, Yeah, let's see. This has been one of the most transformative years of my life as I think it is for many people. I mean, there's so much change going on right now. Um, it's funny when the, um, the, you know, the first slowdown, the quarantine happened, I remember driving in search of toilet paper, thinking to myself, I had this thought of like, oh, this is going to be cool. It's a global slowdown. Um, cause I know that when we slow down, And a lot of times when we have a breakdown, we slow down. And just before a breakthrough is a breakdown. And, you know, I know that not everybody would receive the breakthroughs, but a huge amount would. And and I'm seeing that um, and experiencing that for myself. And I think whether or not this year, year and a half has been a breakdown without breakthroughs for you, or you have had breakthroughs, it's still not too late to receive the gifts of what this ever-changing culture and environment can offer us. Because it's an invitation, in my opinion, to look beyond the physical, to look beyond our circumstances, to just go a little bit deeper to look and see what is truer for you. Um, to in the slowdown, maybe hear the whisperings of your soul that have been nudging you for years to make that change, to go for it, to pause, to take a break, to um, stop from your break and, and go out. It's so for me, that is, has been like, a, you know, I, I had no idea my life would be transforming so much, but it, it has, um, you know, I, um, I, I, this past year, I've kind of started looking in a little bit of a different direction. I, I got uh, introduced to this guy named Sid Banks, who uh, was an ordinary Scottish welder with a ninth grade education who had a momentary enlightened experience. He was at a couple's retreat, not getting much out of it. And somebody said to him, Sid, I, you don't seem to be getting much out of this. And he says, oh, I'm not. This won't work for a guy like me. You don't understand. I've had a really hard life. I'm adopted. I just, 
I'm too insecure. And the guy said to Sid, Sid, you are not insecure. You just think you are. And in a flash, Sid saw beyond the words. He saw the truth of that. He saw that every insecure feeling he, he ever had, doubt, worry about himself in life, only existed if he was thinking it. If he wasn't thinking it, it wasn't there. He wasn't thinking that he was insecure. He wasn't experiencing himself as insecure. And as the story goes, uh, he couldn't sleep for like three days and three nights. And he just kept seeing more and more about this, more of the truth about thought, how thought creates our reality. But to me, what was so significant about Sid's story, and he had a second enlightenment um, experience shortly after that, like a week or so later, where in a flash, he just saw the core of who we really are the formless energy of who we are. He saw that too. And the combination of those two insights changed him unrecognizably to his, um, it changed his life. It just, it was very transformative. And so for me, what was really important about Sid's story is that for the past two decades that I have been coaching and teaching and looking in this direction, um, I knew that the truth about thought. I knew that I even taught it. The words came out of my mouth, but I didn't really know it. I was aware of it, but I hadn't had the realization of it in the way that Sid had. It still seemed to me that even though I knew our thinking creates our reality, when I would get in an argument, it still, with my husband, it still seemed like it was his fault that I was feeling the way that I felt. You know, if I didn't have enough money in my bank account, that seemed to be the cause of the stress. And if I had a lot of money in my bank account, could take the family on these cool trips, that seemed to be the cause of the enjoyment. So even though I was saying these things and I intellectually got them, I didn't know them. Um, I was still, um, I was still operating as if my circumstances were creating what I was feeling in life. And when we think that our circumstances um, make our life better, or we think that they will make our life better, then we tend to stay in the outer world, the world of, of the physical form. You know, I look at my body, does my body okay? No, it's got a little extra ring around it. Well, let me hurry and fix that. Let me do a diet. Let me exercise some more. And that takes so much effort and it's like working upstream. So that keeps us really busy going for it for a long time. And we can kind of feel like better about ourselves because we're doing something that's going to get us to where we're going to feel happy. Or we look at our bank account and is that okay? No, that's not okay. Well, let me, let me work harder. Let me, what can I do to make more money? Cause surely that will make me feel better. Right. And what's really cool about doing that is when we get there, we, whether we get there or not, at some point, we either get there and realize, oh, that didn't get me, nothing's changed. <laughs> or we get tired of trying all the time. Totally. We burn out. So at some point, that is an invitation. That's a, a breakdown. That's an invitation to slow down and take a deeper look. Oh. <sighs> It has been so cool to watch you go through all this. And you made a comment before we hopped on the call that I definitely want to come back to where you said you are slowing down to the pace of life and allowing even literal white space in your calendar to free up mm -hmm. possibilities and opportunities. And 
Um, and you mentioned a bit ago about burnout, and you also mentioned a bit ago about just this change that we've all been through with the, the ultimate, mm -hmm. the great reset, if you will, which was, mm -hmm. it's been catastrophic for so many people on so many fronts. And I think we'd all also agree that we can't unsee some of the, the things that have come from it, just especially in the legal profession, for example, we've never once before done this many hearings and depositions by Zoom. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for us to be flying all over the country now to be doing these things and exhausting ourselves when they are very possible to do just as effectively through a computer screen. So there's a lot of things about the way the world has changed that, that give us promise and hope for new ways of doing life. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think in the context of that, and really this is the topic that was on my heart to ask you to come on today, is you've said this before, there's always a gap between jumping off the hamster wheel or the frenetic treadmill Mm -hmm. and landing on the, the rhetorical, if you will, magic carpet, the, mm -hmm. the space of, of truly finding our gifts, finding our calling, mm -hmm. just the space of existing in a way that we are being maybe mm -hmm. less than doing mm -hmm. or at least mm -hmm. doing in a different way. But there's always this gap. There's always the departure from mm -hmm. the shore of the known and you're out in the middle of the sea and you can't yet see the shore of the new destination. And it's, it's truly a leap of faith. It's like building the airplane on the way down. And um, as you and I have been setting up this podcast for today, I've been rereading Stephen Cope's The Great Work of Your Life, which I recommend to mm -hmm. everyone. And this chapter hit me so hard. I just want to read part of this as we mm -hmm. tee this topic up. And then I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this. Um, Catherine has been for many years the dean of a small private girls' school. She's loved by generations of students, mothers, and daughters. For years, she has lived squarely in the center of her dharma, which this author um, defines as her sacred duty or her gift with a capital G. She has changed lives. Anyone who knows her would declare she has thrived in the role of dean of this school, counseling and befriending faculty and students, raising money for new buildings, helping chart the course of the school. But now she is tired. She's irritable and pissy with her factory. She forgets to attend important faculty. She forgets to attend important meetings. She is, if truth be told, finished. In her heart of hearts, she knows it. In private, she admits it to me. She no longer even cares. But Catherine is terrified and completely unsure of what might come next. She is afraid that if she leaves the deanship, she will be devastatingly lonely, that only her cats will need her. She knows there is a new dharma calling her, and in fleeting moments, she sees it out of the corner of her eye. She occasionally gets a whiff of a calling that feels more real than rain. Perhaps she could teach English, English literature to her young charges. She could be free of the wearying burdens of deanship. She could work only a few hours a week. She could garden her passion. She can occasionally visualize how perfect this would be and how well it would meet her energies at this stage of life. She... English literature has been one of her most enduring loves. She could transmit it to the girls in small doses. When she visualizes this new dharma, she feels the possibility of living once again, but then the fear comes. Maybe she won't get invited to all the important powwows about the future of the school. Maybe they'll think of her as washed up. Perhaps I should stick it out for another year. There will be just a little bit more in my retirement package too. Catherine has been paralyzed by this conflict for more than three years, and she is not a happy woman. Living a lie, she has even said to me after several glasses of wine. Catherine is stuck. Fear of closing the door is one version of dharma paralysis. 
What do you think about this? This yeah. this jump, this leap, this unknown. I mean, you've gone through it yourself in your per, in your professional life. There's yeah. a void there. I've gone through it several times actually in my professional life and it used to be harder. I remember when I couldn't let go of teaching yoga um, because I, I was identifying with myself as a yogi and I wanted to be seen that way. So even I, though I had this booming coaching practice and a young family, like I wouldn't give anything up. So I was just running myself ragged because I didn't want to give that up. And so that happened out of like sheer, like, um, I, you know, oh. but, and that was harder to do and took longer. It took years for me to actually let that go. And it was like peeling one finger off at a time. And so like what I was saying just before we got on, like there is something that makes getting off the hamster wheel easy. And there is something that makes it hard. And, and, you know, what makes getting off the hamster wheel hard is when you don't realize that there is a real magic carpet ride. It's not just this idea that sounds good. And, you know, some people talk about, and we've heard, you hear successful people talk about it. Yeah, but they're already there. They're, they're like, they, you know, and it kind of looks to us like maybe they did the hamster ride to get there. Right. And so when it looks to us like that, and when it looks to us like our circumstances are the things that will make us feel the way we want. Um, it makes so much sense to stay on the hamster ride and we do. And then it, it wears us out because it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable because you can't get what you already have. Oof. And, and you can never get enough of what you don't really need. Mm. So that, that, that keeps us um, in a misunderstanding that, that keeps us going faster, faster, harder, harder, just work more. And the interesting thing of what I've really come to see is that it's, it's, it's a great irony too, is that we get really busy, but we don't get exponential results in life. You, you can do that. You can make that you can, but it almost seems to work because you can, you can force the needle to move just a little bit. So it seems like it's working. Okay. But, and when you realize your, your deeper, truer nature, when you realize that, um, and, and, you know, kind of the gateway there is kind of like what happened to Sid is seeing how thought creates our reality. That's the first like realization, like when you see that it stops making chasing circumstances so much sense. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make as much sense. Okay. And, um, that gap that you're talking about is certainly something that I experienced. Not everybody does or have to, or not everybody's gap has to be as, as long as, as, mine seem to be, I guess every gap, it sort of like feels like a minute can feel like a, a decade, right? You know, and um, when you're in that gap, but it's sort of like, what's the gift? I don't know if um, you've ever done a fast mm -hmm. and, or a cleanse. And, and you, when you, when you just set everything down, you get to see what you really want to pick back up. That's true. So you do it with food. Um, and that's sort of like what I did here is I just set everything down. And I think a lot of us have had that opportunity sort of, you know, forced upon us with COVID. Like you were saying, like, 
we have, you know, the travel, my husband used to travel a lot for his work and he used to think he loved it. He went, he went back, did his first trip, um, last week. And he was like, I don't want to go. And luckily they canceled all the trips for the rest of the year. He's really happy, but it is like we, a lot of us have found, we don't want to pick that busyness back up again. And so when you, that's, what's also available to us in that gap, in that gap, as you start to realize your deeper nature, um, ideas spring forth from that nature that connect us to our natural aliveness, to our innate creativity. And when we are engaging with things that come from that place, they tend to go better. Right. Um, we have more energy. We have more creativity. We, um, the things that need to be done to bring about that project don't feel we're not working as, as upstream, you know, we're not fighting upstream for it. And so, yeah, I think that's sort of the, the gift of, you know, when you see that, when you know that, and it's the difference, like I said, like I knew thought created our reality. I, I, I got that. I spoke it, I taught it, but I hadn't realized it. It's sort of a difference of an, a, a distinction I make sometimes is awareness versus realization. You can be aware of something, but the realization is when that comes alive in you and you know it. Like I have a friend who used to smoke. Um, she was a nurse back in the day and she, uh, you know, when smoking was cool and, and the nurses and the doctors would smoke and she was aware that smoking was bad for her health. She was aware that she should stop and wanted to, but couldn't. Okay. And then one day she was on the, she was assisting a doctor, a surgeon in the operating room. And he made a comment in passing. Well, this is a waste of surgery. He said, she says, why? Well, because he refuses to quit smoking and he's just going to be back here the same. We're going to be doing the same surgery in a few months from now. And like that, it hit her just like a bolt of like, that's, she had a realization. She knew that she never wanted to be on that operating table. And she never picked up a cigarette again from that day forward. That's the difference from being aware of something, being aware that thought thinking creates our reality. But to have the realization is the holy shit balls. Oh, I see. And when you see it like that, and, and, and the way to see it like that is to just look. To look and see. I mean, our brain is wired our human brain is wired to look out into the world of form and think that the way we see it is the way it is. It's true <laughs> to interpret that, you know, our circumstances are the cause because we're in the middle of these circumstances and we're feeling something. So we look out right. into the world of form. It must be that. But if you look deeper, if you look to see, um, you'll start to notice two people don't experience the same situation, circumstances in the same way. Like I, I remember one of my ahas was, it was when I was, um, it's a little funny thing. I was in the car with Jameson, my four-year-old at the time. And we were dropping my daughter off from school and driving back up the street. And we hit, we get stuck behind the garbage truck, a couple houses back. And my immediate reaction is like, 
oh, what bad luck. Oh man, drats, you know? And then when he kept going house to house, how inconsiderate, he won't even scoot over and just let me over. And I look back in the rearview mirror and my son is wide eyed and open mouth because he loves big trucks. He loves the garbage truck. So to him, it's his lucky day that we got stuck behind this garbage truck. So here's the same circumstance. I'm experiencing it one way. He's experiencing it another. So if you really kind of look to notice this, you will, you'll start to see it. And the way we're designed is the reason that realizations are available to us is that, you know, the the singular energy that everything in the entire universe is created of, that's us too. And that holds true knowledge in it. That holds the truth of all things in it. Mm. This is why another example is, um, you know, I had a, I had a really powerful insight for myself around intimacy a while back. Um, before I had this insight, I thought that intimacy was, um, two people coming together and, and telling their deepest, darkest, shadowy secrets to each other, bearing all that was intimacy. And when I thought intimacy was that way, I tried to force my husband to have those conversations. It didn't go well. It always ended up in, in being more discon- feeling more disconnected. And I read in a book by George Kransky, The Relationship Handbook, I read two sentences that said, intimacy is innate. It's what happens when two people come together with relatively nothing on their mind. Oh, wow. So when I heard that, it was like, boom. It was for me, the heavens opened and it hit my heart. And that was like, I knew it to be true. I knew it to be truer than the way I was making up intimacy to be. Oh, interesting. Now, but here's the thing, Megan, this is what's really powerful about that story is I never intellectually thought of intimacy in that way. I never would have come up with it from my personal thinking for it to be that way. So how could I know it was true? Hmm. It points to the truth that all of us within us and, and everybody's, all your listeners, everybody's, I know you've had a spontaneous moment of realization where you realize something that was truer than the way you were making it up. And if you really look at that experience, how could you intellectually have figured that out? You couldn't. You can't. Because it's a new thought. It's, it's one that wasn't there before. And so whether that comes from reading a book or hearing somebody talk or a moment in the shower from nowhere, this is the place that, bring, that, that will bring our life if we make space for realization, especially in our pursuits of creating in the world, this is this place where we have access to exponential growth, exponential productivity, exponential creativity. But what most of us are kind of so we habitually do, and this is what I did, was not making space for that place. Right. When you're on the hamster wheel, um, the thinking of hurry, rush, get what more, more, more seems more important than what those little whisperings and nudges of our deeper, the deeper place inside guides us to do. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing satisfactory to check off the to-do list. And to me, that epitomizes the magic carpet space. And probably you and anyone who's landed in that space looks back at the hamster wheel and can so clearly see like you're saying, the truth, the knowingness. So here's the struggle. And maybe it helps us to put more specific details. Maybe you can even share some client stories in generalities 
when you are on the precipice of the gap, and I've listened to some podcasts where they describe sort of the nudging where it starts as pebbles and then the universe throws rocks at you and then the universe throws boulders at you or some coaches describe it as the universe smacking us upside the head with a two by four. It's my personal belief that this is the, a junk, giant chunk of where our internal tension comes from and frankly where a lot of our autoimmune disorders and our physical breakdown comes from mm-hmm. is the pull across the gap Mm-hmm. to try and get us off the hamster wheel or perhaps even shifting our dharma, as I just read from the book, the knowingness that what we're doing isn't right for us. Maybe it never was, or maybe mm-hmm. it just isn't anymore. Maybe you mm-hmm. were squarely within your gift for a period of time, as you said, teaching mm-hmm. yoga. And mm-hmm. then the sense that this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And it's urging you to leap into the gap, but who the fuck wants to make that jump when you have bills to pay and you have the reality of commitments and relationships? Like it's a really tall ass to just sort of say, okay, universe, like I'm surrendering to you. I trust you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I would love to, because that gap looks different for all of us, given where we're at and given where we are. Most of my clients, their gap hasn't, has has been, has been, um, easy and effortless and, um, more abundant. So what some of their gap looks like, I I just had one of my clients, he just texted me, I just landed a $1.2 million job. And what he was celebrating in that was what was different is his come from, because he was no, because he was so settled in that deeper place. He said, when I went to go give that bid, I just answered questions because it wasn't a desperation thing, it right? Wasn't, yeah. So, so for he, for him, the gap was he didn't change businesses or he didn't. It, his his wasn't nudging him to start over. It was a mindset. His was nudging him to you know scale his business. So there's this other project that he's really outside of his business that he wants to spend more time on, but he's got a great business going. So he's developing leadership. He's developing leaders in that and he's coming from such a more settled place that it's just been really magical, right? So that's one picture of what it can look like for some people. Um, You know, some of my other clients, it's just, it's changing. That's ultimately what it is, is it changes your come from. And when that changes, everything changes. For some people, that's why I like that story you read, that Catherine, myself included, you know, for about, I was, you know, I was at Wealth Factory coaching for them. And for several years, I knew it was time for me to move on. Um, but it didn't make sense logically, because I had a great thing going here. I loved everybody. I loved what I was doing. Um, that made no sense. And I didn't understand the access that we have to this deeper wisdom. I didn't understand how re- reliable and relevant it could be in guiding me towards something greater. I didn't understand that success is inevitable if I don't create a lot of interference. I didn't understand that. I thought I had to do something in order to achieve. And I was sure in that moment that I didn't know everything that I needed to know to do it. See, I didn't know that I would be guided moment by moment and only need to know what I need to know right now to make the next choice. Yeah, you said that earlier. I want you to say that quote. You're okay not knowing until... 
that's, that's, you know, big thing that for me is, um, coming to this place of being okay, not knowing until I do. Let me, and that's a little tiny gap that we all like, like if the better we can get at that. Yeah. Being okay, not knowing. Mm -hmm. And then also being okay, knowing. Because we will also know things that we prefer not to know. (laughs) Pretend not to know. I was just going to say, that's one of the big coaching questions, isn't it? Is what are you pretending not to know? And I would almost say that brings us back to this question of, maybe you can even talk about some of the specific things you were experiencing when you knew it was time to move on from your coaching circumstance with that organization. And you and I were friends during that whole time. So I saw you sort of perseverating over that. And I can certainly relate to certain feelings I'm experiencing in my own profession when you have a good thing going. And yet there's this growing internal tension and it's so uncomfortable because you're like, but no, really I'm good where I'm at. But yet something else is prodding you to say, actually you're being called into something new now. Can you describe how you felt like for you? Did you get it in for me? It's anxiety and I'm not sleeping well now. Um, And I can tell it's only going to get worse until I make some really big changes. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your, like, what are some of the effects that you see either in yourself or in some of the clients you coach where you're like, oh yeah, that's you being called to the next thing. Yeah. You're just tired of doing it. You are just not like lit up by it. You kind of, you, you, um, you look at your calendar and it's like, oh yeah, I'm not like, not, a, I'm not not enthused by what I see ahead of me in the day. Once I get into it, and this was what was so hard for me. I did this with teaching yoga too. I would just like, oh, I don't really want to go. I just, but then I'd get there in a class and have such a wonderful experience that then I think I should just stay. But see, we're designed when we get present to anything, we're going to have a wonderful experience. Mm. So that's not a metric by which we want to determine staying or going. It's more of it's more of honoring the subtle, deeper knowing inside that it's time for you to move on. Um, And sometimes we get nudges to move on in ways that don't make sense logically, but we know. And if it is, the thing about our deeper wisdom too, is it is filled with common sense. So it's never going to guide you to leave something and then not be able to pay your bills. It'll guide you in a way that your bills get paid. It's not going to guide you to abandon your children and the people that you love. It's filled with common sense. It will guide you in a way that makes the very most sense for your life. Um, but we can't always see that in, in what, the way we're seeing it, right? So for me, that was like, as I look back, I mean, it was one of those times in my life where that helped me see this because I didn't see it then. And so it really was, I felt like the universe was pulling one finger off the steering wheel at a time. I gotcha. I gotcha, girl. Just trust me. It really was like that. It was like one finger would come off and I just let that finger come off. I wouldn't grip it back on, you know, and another one. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. Let me make a plan for this. You know, I was like, Ooh, let me try this step back. I've got a team of coaches. So, you know, like I did all of these things to try to step back in a way that I could still pretend to have control, you know, stay in the illusion of, of thinking that I had some control of things. 
And, but little by little, like the universe did for me what I couldn't do for myself also. And I, and I found gifts along the way, you know, just the right people kind of came into my life and had conversations. I had great coaches on that helped me see things that I wasn't seeing. And as soon as that seeing changed, how it was really just like intimacy, as soon as I saw things differently, the behavior changed, right? Because our behavior will always reflect what looks real to us. Mm. When what looks real to us changes, our behavior automatically changes. You know, where my intellectual head goes with this um, is, you know, work isn't supposed to be fun. And like, I used to fly out of bed seven days a week to do my job because I loved it so much, just like the woman I read about from the book. And, you know, there's probably people listening to this that are like, you don't get to go and be lit up by your job every day. You are going to look at your calendar and have a sense of dread. If it wasn't work, you wouldn't be paid to do it. Like, what right do we have? Are we so first world privilege have we lost our damn minds that we think that we get to go be lit up by what we do and yet the things I read and study and you've helped me see this too is that when we are called to these leaps it is always in service of the greater good like you teaching yoga I've no doubt you touched people's lives but the work I've seen you do in coaching I suspect you've touched not only more people but in a far more significant way but you wouldn't have known that mm-hmm. and of course looking back we have the benefit of hindsight yeah so I mean what do you say to people who are like Demi this is all nice and good and everything but it's work it's not it's I, not you fun. know, there's, you know the, I'm inclined to share a little exercise that my coach shared with me that Perfect. I think would like help them see it for themselves it's kind of fun so if you're listening to this and you are wondering for yourself um do I stay? Do I go? How much is worth staying? Try out, just try this little exercise and see what you see. This exercise isn't to tell you whether to stay or to go, but to see something maybe new, fresh and new about staying and going. So grab a piece of paper that you can write on and make a, um, drop two lines down the page vertically and two lines horizontally. So it's almost like a tic-tac-toe grid. You want to have, so you have three boxes on top, three boxes in the middle, three boxes below. Okay. And the very, the, the top left quadrant, you're going to write one year. And right next to it, so the second column, three years. The third column, five years. Okay. And over to the left, we're going to label these um, horizontally, horizontal columns, the top one is going to be love. The middle one, mediocre. And the third one, hate. Okay. And what what you're going to do is just take a minute and in each box, you're going to write a dollar amount. You're going to check in with yourself and see if you have, if, if, if in the next year, so the first one is one year, I hire you to do something that you're going to get paid your salary, but you're also going to get a bonus from me. How much would that bonus need to be if you were going to do something that you loved for me for one year? Hmm. How much would that bonus need to be if you were going to do something that you loved for three years? And how much would that bonus need to be if you were going to do something that you loved for five years? 
And then the mediocre column, like if it was just something you loved medium, it was like, you were pretty neutral about it, but I was going to hire you. And again, your salary is covered, but you're going to get a bonus. How much would that bonus need to be for one year? If you felt mediocre about the, what you were doing three years and five years, and then fill in the bottom box. Like if it was something you absolutely hated doing, how much of a bonus would it take for one year, three year and five year? I love it. That's a great concept. Yeah. You know, and it, it, for me, it was, when I did this, it was really cool to see, you know what I put in the one year love box? Zero. Zero. I, it, I was, it was so interesting to see. Most of us want that, right? I think most yeah. of us, if we're, if we're being honest, we want more to leap out of bed, excited to do the thing than we right. do to go cash the big paycheck. And that's not to say right. they're mutually exclusive, but like most of us want to be excited to do what we're going to do with the bulk of our time for the bulk of totally. our lives. Totally. The other thing that was also really insightful for me around this, Megan, is that in the five-year hate, I had $15 million. It's a lot. It needed but, to be a lot. But it, there is a number. There is a number for me mm. that... I might be willing to do something that I hate for five years if I knew for sure that I could get 15 million for it. That's true. So you are willing to trade at some point. It's just the numbers got to be big enough. Yeah, you know, so it's like, so it is, what this exercise I am hoping will kind of point you all towards seeing is that there's no right or wrong choice here of whether you should stay, of whether you should go. Um, and that very often it is a gradual thing. Like it doesn't need, if you don't know for certain, if you should go right now, then you might just be in the unknown. And you, there, it might be, you know, working its way out. And, and what I would encourage you to do is, is to not try to force things so much, but actually become more and more aware of what is. To start noticing what is without trying to do something about it. Because it's usually what we try to do about it that ends up causing more confusion. Um, and, and when we see things very clearly for what they are, we know what to do with them. Our wisdom is designed for that. But we, I've seen this in myself. I, you know, one of the other things that I've been really, really kind of looking at is asking the right questions of my wisdom. See, one of the things I realized recently is that I was asking my wisdom theoretical questions. What do I do if this happens? Mm. And our wisdom isn't designed for theoretical questions. So I wasn't getting answers. Then I was feeling more confused. Then I felt like I needed to figure it out even more. So it's rather than trying to figure out the answer, look towards what is true. What is truer than the way things are appearing to you? It helps to realize the way we work. It helps to realize the way the human brain kind of Goes, in, goes out into the world of form, experiences something, and thinks that circumstances are the cause. And when we do that, we create kind of a premise. Do this to get that. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so we have all of these sort of givens about life and business and ourselves that tend to keep us in a bit of a, make our world kind of like have bars on it. Okay. The bars are made of Play-Doh, but we don't realize when we don't realize it, we don't, we don't bend them. Right. And so, cause it's all made of thought and thought is fleeting and temporary and changeable and impermanent. And, um, it is the creative substance of the universe that we get to play with. But when we don't realize that, and we look, we think the old thinking is true, then we tend to stay locked in it, right? Given that um, I need to make a certain amount of money, um, I need to stay where I'm at, right? That, that was one of mine too. Um, given that getting clients is difficult, I need to stay right here where clients are being hand-delivered to me, mm-hmm. right? So, um, if you know that your brain does this, it's not problematic. It's only problematic if we think our premises are true. And so that would be my kind of invitation to everybody. Rather than trying to figure out the answer, keep getting more and more curious about what is truer. What's truer than this? For you, speaking of taking it out of the hypothetical, I mean, I know how much you struggled to leave that coaching situation to make the leap into where you are now. And I don't know that there was one pivotal event event or one pivotal moment, but can you describe what ultimately led you to say, I'm giving my notice with you guys, I'm transitioning to go do this other thing, which for the listeners was a really big move because she was in such an established given environment in a really good thing with, with with great relationships and great circumstance, like what was the final, what was the final nudge? You know, one of the final ones was um, where I knew I was done. It was a coaching conversation with a coach who helped me see that I had a pattern of sitting on the fence. Oh, I saw one of the premises that I had was because the future is so uncertain, keep all options open to you. Don't close any doors. And and I didn't see that as soon as I saw that. And what she encouraged me to do is like, just get off the fence. It doesn't matter if you go to this side or that side, but just try getting off the fence. If you want, it sounds like you want to get off the fence. I do want to get off the fence. Great. Then just get off the fence. Oh, wow. Either stay or go. Oh, yeah. And, and it was that moment. And see, that was right wow. for me. That's like, and one of the things I always caution people that when I do trainings and things is don't, we're also very, we have a tendency to turn an insight into a prescription. Hmm. Oh, always get off the fence. Just make oh. a decision. That was just right for that moment. That was my wisdom guiding me to the conversation that I needed to have to see what I needed to have for my next right step right? Sometimes being on the fence is the right thing to do, right? So, but for me in that moment, it was rather than it being that conversation, what I see really happened is my wisdom guided me to have this conversation with this coach. She, her wisdom was connecting with mine and helped bring about seeing something that changed the way I saw it. Hmm. And so you were like, okay, I'm off the fence and I already know what it's like to stay. So now I'm going to try leaving. Yeah. And, and for me that leaving, I, 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 I knew I was done and that changed inside. Um, 
but I didn't just say, Hey, I'm giving my two weeks. I mean, this was, this was, a um, something that I had, you know, spent a lot of time creating a team of coaches and, um, invested in a lot of creating the program. And, um, I wanted to leave in a way that, um, really supported everybody. And so it was, but ironically in that year, they changed their structure anyway. And, um, I, I got invited to leave and it was like, I went for a walk afterwards and was like, wow, that's so great. Thank you. So, you know, it was just, but I was, I was ready for, I had already left. So it was such a celebration of a conversation, you know, with, you know, my mentor and friend who, um, I worked alongside for a lot of years. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, um, you know, it is, Rather than looking for strategies, and this is what I encourage people to do and I teach, rather than looking for strategies to figure out what's next for you, realize that you have an internal guidance system. And what's next for you is just for you. You know, what's next for me isn't going to be the same as what's next for you. And how I am guided to see what's next isn't necessarily going to be the same as it is for me as it is for you. And so... I caution people to look out at other people who have what you want and try to do what they did because they, what they, you know, people that are the most successful in life that are happy and fulfilled with their success and they have that contentment of life, they have been following their wisdom, whether they realize it or not. Mm -hmm. We look, when they look back, you can start to see patterns And then the human brain has a tendency to want to turn those patterns into a formula, into a prescription, into seven steps, but that's not really how they did it. The seven steps got created looking forward one step at a time. It's sort of like, um, you know, uh, I remember like, um, my coach was telling me about a, um, a course, a class he took with a famous actress and somebody had raised their hand and asked, you know, what, you know, how, when did you know your career path? And she says, career path. I never had a career path. It's only after all of the success looking back that there seems to be a path. Right. That hindsight. Mm -hmm. And and for most people, I mean, I love the story of Ralph Lauren Polo too. He didn't start out wanting to be a big fashion icon. He just wanted a fat necktie. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. And that's the magic carpet ride. Like a magic carpet right. ride is giving up the illusion that we have a certain path that we're following that made somebody else successful. And if we just do what they did, we'll get where they got. And that will make us happy. Like that's the hamster wheel mentality. The magic carpet ride is trusting the next right step and knowing that when you look back at the end of your days, you'll see the path from the other side, it will make sense. You know, it's, it's, it's looking to, you know, when I am afraid of trusting this, cause I get afraid too. I'm like, are you sure? Right. I don't know. Some voice in my head. Like, yeah. Yeah. But it helps me to look to nature. There's not a single thing in nature that doesn't thrive to its greatest potential. If it's not interfered with. Mm. And we're this very same nature. Nature is abundant. Nature increases itself. Nature has a way of self-correcting and um, evolving and growing. And we're that very same nature. 
that point brings me to a very poignant message that I, I don't know if it's the universe or just we're drawn to certain things at certain times, but I listened to like three or four podcasts that had the same theme throughout a 14 hour road trip a couple weeks ago. And one of them was that the seasons of growth, which is what you're talking about, this gap, this leap, Mm -hmm. we have more than one, as you've already alluded to in our lives. And each time they are always painful because you are leaving something that is comfortable and known. And there is a stretch and there is some heartbreak. There is sort of the mourning of the thing that used to serve you that you thought was going to light you up for the rest of your days, perhaps like the woman in the story that each time we go through these growth seasons, it's they're hard. They're hard because you are again, leaping into the unknown. And the woman on the podcast was talking about like, has anyone ever asked the caterpillar what it's like? Like we all talk about this beautiful chrysalis and this blossoming into a a butterfly, but it's probably really freaking painful. Actually the act of that, or when a snake literally sheds its skin, it probably actually feels horrible. And these growth seasons that you're talking about, Yes, looking back at the end and looking at the thing, it's all like, oh my gosh, that totally makes sense, that timeline. But when you're in it, it's hard and it takes a lot of courage and trust and the leap of faith faith that you're talking about. And I think the point you also made earlier about when you left Wealth Factory was um, I read in a book where she said, try to transition when you're at like a seven and an eight, when you're still in a good space with things and you can leave on a positive note and you can nurture the ties and the relationships don't wait till you get to the nine or the 10, like the woman in the story, when you're ready to just burn the whole thing down. Like when the inside tension is boiled to such a point that you just want to get your flamethrower out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you did a really nice job of going through that really painful growth phase, leaving that thing for the new thing, Mm -hmm. which is hard. Mm -hmm. And you did it in a way that you left with really positive relationships. Yeah. And that one was only hard. I feel hard is optional. That's true. right. Because it, that one was hard for me because I was unaware of a lot of things. I hadn't realized um, my true nature. I hadn't realized my true self. Um, like I was aware of it, but I hadn't realized it. And when you're in that awareness, it's kind of like my friend quitting smoking. It's really hard to do. So we experience things as hard and, you know, it's, it's funny cause I just started doing intermittent fasting and I have, um, this is another example of it because I, for years and kind of I've coached clients who do these five day water fast. I am aware of the health benefits and I've always wanted the health benefits of five day water fans. I want the stem cell surge and yeah. um, all that kind of stuff and the ketones and, but it's um, hard. But I, but I was always unwilling to pay the price of five days of discomfort, what I imagined it to be. And so um, I had a premise that I just don't do well with going out without food. I get headaches and, you know, like I had that seemed really real to me. And when I would attempt doing little periods of fasting to try to force myself, it was really hard, really hard. And I could never go a full day. Like I forced myself, I think to go till three 30 and it was just like looking at the clock all day long. Right. And so, but, but I have in that I have been seeing urges of the body differently lately and seeing this inside out way of looking at things. Um, I kind of just wanted to like see physical urges. Like it was different. And so I started doing it and it's the easiest thing. 
It was so easy and effortless. So it's what you make of it. It's, it's how you see it. What looks real to you. So if Mm. it looks like it's going to be hard to make that transition, Mm. it will. Great point. And, but I just sort of want to plant the seed that there, like, so today I am, I'm letting go of things and doing transitions hand over foot today. Like I am, I think I just mentioned, I let go of my whole old pricing structure because I saw it was created to fulfill, to relieve insecurity. It didn't make sense for me anymore. So I'm just doing things differently and in different ways. And with um, ease, but with with so much ease and willing to transition and move and, um, the ease comes from realizing our true nature of realizing how reliably and rele- relevantly wisdom has got us. And, and that kind of makes it like, Ooh, I can't wait to see what's next. Oh, I like it. Thank Ooh. you for reframing this. Thank you. Thank you for reframing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. The growth phase doesn't have to be hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, one of my big clutches of like gripping, it was really money, you know, because I, um, and one of my clients is going through this right now. She wanted to switch careers. She was a a fine artist and she wanted to become a coach. And so that kind of a transition usually has a financial gap within it. If you're changing careers, you're going to start something new, a business. And you know, one of the things for me is I was interlinking, making money and building a sustainable business. And so I wasn't in doing that. I wasn't building my business long-term. I was building it short-term. Right. And so separating those two was really powerful for me. And I, as I offered that to her, it was too. And, you know, she, um, oh, I lost the point I was going to go and make. So I'm not supposed to make well, it. I, I mean, maybe that. there probably was just some financial planning for that oh, gap well, to facilitate. Yes. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. Thank you. Um, you know, for her, she was had that financial gap too. And in her head, she was stressing a lot about money. And so we had a conversation. I said, well, how much do you need so that you cannot worry, worry about money? See, yep. she was doing the hypotheticals, uh-huh. like, what am I going to do when my money runs out? And so when she really looked, she's like, well, her husband was working still and they were okay. And so they, she said, I, if I have make $50,000 in the next year, I can, I can relax. My needs are met. Yeah. And when she saw that number, she's like, Oh, that's, that's really doable. And see, then she's asking her wisdom, the right question. How do I make $50,000 so I can stop worrying about it? Uh-huh. So I can let this business that I want to grow, grow in a long term, sustainable way and have the space to sort of see what's here in this way. I love it. So that is like, you know, I think it's important to like, it's not, I'm not suggesting that we not look at money and we just trust that if I need to be fed, it's going to know if you need to be fed, you need to go open up the fridge. But when you see that you need to open up the fridge to eat, it's not hard. That's a good point. When it feels like, I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of scary monsters on the way from here to the fridge. And I'm, I don't know, like it feels hard. That's a good point. Yeah. Thanks for reframing that headspace. This could be seen more as a fun experiment, which is what life is. <laughs> yeah. And it also doesn't work to try to force yourself to see it as a good experiment. If you don't, that's true. 
that doesn't work. So, so I would say, don't try to do that. But what does work if you just keep seeing things for truer and truer when you, when you, because what in that analogy of like pretend seeing, think there's scary monsters on the way from here to the fridge. If I'll really look, I'll see that there's no monsters and then I won't be scared. And then, then going to the fridge is easy. But it doesn't work to like actually think that there's monsters and be like, there's no monsters. There's no monsters. There's, I'm going, I'm going, there's no monsters. Like that doesn't That's work. A good point. <laughs> so. That's a great point. But it, but the way we're designed, it's built within our system to see truth because mm. we're made of it. You continue to be a gift to me. And I, I am sure for all those who listen. And so if they want to find you, catch you on the website. It sounds like you are accepting new clients or you're happy to talk with people yeah, and be authentic leader in you. You said there's a leadership quiz to determine yeah, the type so of leader you are. Uh-huh. So if you go to the website, there is a leadership quiz that you can take. It'll give you your personality or leadership personality. And then it will send you a seven day um, sort of virtual training on how to bring more authenticity, and more of your true self into your leadership. I love it. Uh, last question for you, because you always have great ideas. Are you reading any great books right now that you recommend or have you read recently? Mm. Or what were the ones by Michael Neal that you loved? Yeah, let me, let me, let me see if there's a, okay. let me see what comes to mind. Huh. You know, it's funny, Megan, I've been reading. Wow, it's interesting. I'm reading some fun books right now. I'm good. I'm reading the mists of Avalon right now. And I've read like, this is something that's really changed for me is I'm no longer feeling like I need to fix myself so much. So I'm not as like aggressively. I mean, there was a time, you know, I I couldn't go to the bathroom without a self-help book because I thought that I was worried. Yeah. So I'm actually, it's funny. Like what's really been fun for me is to read some of these just fun books right now. Um, but, but I think, um, Hmm. In, in, in line of this conversation. Yeah. I would, I I think maybe Michael Nils inside out revolution would be a good place to start. Um, he, he wrote three books actually it's called, he calls it the trilogy. It's really, three different approaches to the same conversation. One is um, philosophical, which is the inside out revolution. One is spiritual, which is the space within. And one is practical, which is creating the impossible. So those three books are three different sort of points of view, so to speak, in having this conversation that we, if you want to go deeper in this understanding. I love it. Thank you so much, Demi. You're such a gift, such a light. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Always great to spend time with you. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.